You're listening to ReachMDXM 233, the channel for medical professionals. In the early 1940s, it was not unusual for football players, businessmen, doctors, or lawyers to stop their careers and enlist to go to the aid of their country. They were the everyday heroes of our parents' time. Today we have no draft, but there's still men and women who put their careers on hold to serve their country. What about the physicians who today volunteer to go to war? What is it like for them? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, your host, and with me today is Dr. Mark Plaster. Dr. Plaster would consider himself a regular guy, an ER doc in Baltimore, who created and published an ED journal called Emergency Physicians Monthly. He's here to share with us a little of the alternate road that he took to serve as a physician in the U.S. Marine Corps Reserve. Today we're discussing the role of the physician in today's military. And thank you very much for taking the time to talk with us today, Dr. Plaster. Pleased to be here. Thank you. There's so many questions I could ask you, but first, let me say, how did you come to the military in midlife? And what was the climate like in this country when you did it? What actually was going on at the time, there was a little bit of preparation in the, in the fact that my father served in World War II uh, in the Navy. And, and by the way, the, the Navy provides the medical care for all of the Marine Corps. So I'm actually in the Navy Reserve. But since people get confused by that, I'm in the Navy Reserve, but I'm attached to a Marine Corps unit. But my father had been uh, had served in the Navy, and I always felt that that was a good thing, but it never was possible for me going through my career as an emergency physician. And until, really, through no prompting of my own, my son decided to go to the U.S. Naval Academy in Annapolis. And while here, I suddenly became very familiar with all kinds of Navy people, and I was impressed with them. I was inspired by them, uh, by what they were doing, and so... <laughs> I was, you know, going through midlife, and uh, I went through the call room one day, and there was a, a poster on the on the call room board, and it uh, was recruiting emergency physicians to join the Navy. And someone had scratched out the the top age of 35, had written 45 on there, and I didn't know whether it was a joke or whether they had actually sort of changed the number because they needed doctors. And I was 49 at the time, and without telling my wife, I called the recruiter, and uh, I told this young young lady, I uh, said, don't laugh when you see my age, but I'm an emergency physician with 20-plus years of experience, some of it level one trauma centers, and I'm an old athlete, and so I think I probably can pass the physical, and would you be interested in a guy like me in the Navy Reserve? And she was very kind and said, sure, if you can pass the physical, you know, uh, that's the kind of guy we want to have. And so I was really anticipating that it would be sort of like middle-aged Boy Scouts, you know, where you go one weekend a month and two weeks in the summer. I signed up for the reserves and went down and got my uniform, and boy, I thought I was pretty hot stuff. And then 9-11 happened, and I realized what the military was all about. And I told my wife at the time, I said, you know, this is really going to impact us. And sure enough, within just a, a few months after that, they were actually calling for volunteers. I'm not going to lie to you. Everyone remembers at the time, you know, after 9-11, everyone was uh, wanting to get involved. And so I volunteered. My wife and I both thought it would be a shorter time than, than it was, but uh, I volunteered to, to be mobilized with our group and uh, knowing that we would probably go overseas. Can you tell us a little bit about being a military reservist? It's been a pleasure. Coming into it at midlife, you know, when you fully have established your own life, you're used to doing what you want to do, and was a total shock when somebody starts telling you what to do, where to go, what to wear, 
you're saluting younger people, and it was a, a real education in humility to come back into a very rigid rank structure like that. And what rank did you go in as? Well, actually, they were amazingly generous with me because of my uh, educational background and years of experience. I actually came in as a lieutenant commander, which is the fourth rank up uh, of officers. Uh, Recently, I've been selected as a commander, which is uh, next to a captain. So they actually brought me in at a very high level, considering the fact that I knew nothing, absolutely nothing about the about the Navy. I mean, I was only in the Navy just a few months before I was switched over to the Marine Corps, and within weeks I was mobilized and, and sent overseas. Now, if you just joined us, you're listening to Clinician's Roundtable on Reach MDXM 233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, and I'm speaking with Dr. Mark Plaster an ED physician who practices in Baltimore, Maryland, and we're discussing what it's like to be a physician and a reservist in the U.S. Marine Corps in Iraq. Before going to Iraq, did you receive any additional medical training to help you adjust to a war zone? Yes, we went out to Camp Pendleton for several weeks for just general training with the equipment we were going to be using But in actual fact, medical care is medical care wherever you render it. So once you're accustomed to the equipment that you have or the limitations on the lack of equipment that you have, after that it's getting used to working in a tent and sleeping on a sleeping bag or on the ground and wearing a uniform and body armor and dealing with all these young Marines. So the additional training wasn't a whole lot and it wasn't terribly necessary. Was Iraq the first place you were deployed? We went to Kuwait first as a staging area and spent several weeks there before moving up to Iraq. I spent several months in the ancient city of Babylon, which is in Hila province. Tell us about some of your experiences and some of your time in Iraq. Any military person will tell you that it's like what they say about anesthesia, which is hours and hours of boredom interspersed with minutes of sheer terror. That's really what it was like. Everyone at that particular time, as a reservist, we we came in after the initial push was was made and uh, was brought in during kind of a golden period. uh, It was less violent then than it is now. Consequently, we didn't see the number of casualties that uh, I believe that they're seeing now. Now, we had had numerous deaths and injuries, but a lot of it uh, had to do with you know, people shooting each other by accident, friendly fire kinds of things, or just plain carelessness, car accidents, sicknesses related to the heat. It was 135 degrees where we were at during the summertime. We all lost 20 plus pounds because of the because of the heat. So that's the kind of thing we saw from day to day. Were there any medical treatments or advancements that you saw used in Iraq on the battlefield that aren't commonly used in the U.S. because of the technology and the state of the science within the military? The only thing that I really saw used more there than here was the clotting agents. Because of the nature of explosive injuries and, and traumatic amputations and whatnot that are so common with explosive injuries, then The new clotting agents that uh, can be either poured on or sprinkled or pads that I had never used in the civilian world were quite common on the battlefield. And uh, you'd see people coming in with wounds that looked like they were covered in this black dust, and it it turned out to be the clotting uh, factors that were being used by the medics in the field. It was a real eye-opener. How did Iraq, and this isn't obviously a simple question, but how did Iraq change you, and how did you ever adjust to being back? Well, I'll tell you one thing. It made me appreciate the sacrifices that our young people are willing to give. I obviously was a part of the Marines, and these young men and women who serve in the Marine Corps, 
are, are doing some tremendous work over there. I didn't realize the kind, not just injury suffering, but the heat, the work, the lack of sleep. And I came to have tremendous admiration for those young men and women. I just, I can't tell you. I, I love Marines. And I, I know if I was around an Army unit, I'd feel the same way. But these kids were, they were the age of my kids. I loved them. I wanted to protect them. I wanted to to do the, the best for them. And, and they volunteered to be there. They were there and they weren't complaining about it. I mean, you know, they're the best. They're the best of the best. It changed me from that standpoint. I, I came back. I had been sort of negative about pop culture in America uh, and about American kids. I, I'd seen a lot of that. And, and when I went over there and experienced these young Marines and all that the sacrifice, how they voluntarily laid down their lives, I just came home, a, you know, a very different man from that standpoint. Is there anything American physicians can do to support the troops that we're probably not aware of that we, we could be doing now? Because a lot of us feel like you do. Well, for one thing, you can join the reserves. I mean, the military is constantly recruiting for physicians, even though it's a sacrifice to do it. I can tell you that it's an exciting thing to do. You'll see life from a very different perspective than, than you might otherwise. You get to be a, a part of something that is larger than your own personal practice. So obviously supporting the troops when they come home and helping the families of, of people who are gone is important. Uh, but, if you know, I have people who say, you know, could I do that? And I say, absolutely, you can. You can do that. If, a, if an old guy like me can do it, then you can do it. Is the cutoff really 45? I'm not sure where the cutoff is, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> <laughs> I was 49 when I went in. I think it was a joke. I, I think uh, <laughs> the, I think the, the poster in the call room was a joke. And anyway, you know, my wife always said, that, you know, I had a midlife crisis. And instead of going out and buying a convertible, I went and joined the Marines. So... If you have a midlife crisis, I would say, you know, try doing something like this. It might change your life. Can you tell us about your plans for a deployment again on Monday? We do annual training exercises. They're all over the world. I've actually so far been to the Republic of Georgia, been to Africa several times, and now we're headed back over to former Soviet Republic to work with a multinational exercise. It's been a tremendous opportunity to work with physicians from around the world, and to get their perspective on things and to see how medical care is rendered in third world countries particularly. So I can't say more about the specifics of it. We will be doing that, and we do it every year. And I want to really thank you, Dr. Plaster, for being here today. You're welcome. Dr. Mark Plaster has been our guest, and we've been discussing the role and the experiences of an American ED physician in Iraq. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM 233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions on this or any segment, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thank you, everybody, for listening.